Today I welcome Cam Chohan, Executive Director at ECIS. In this episode, I discuss programs for doers and changemakers, diversity, equity, inclusion, and the importance of adding justice, setting up an international anti-discrimination task force, plus the importance of the right school and teacher training. Just positioning, you're the Executive Director of the Educational Collaborative for International Schools, otherwise known as ECIS. You describe yourselves as a network of doers and change makers. What kind of things is ECIS doing and changing? As an organisation, what we believe in is relationships and listening to our members. So lots of schools in our community, we have over 500 members within our community now, but we listen to them. We don't say, this is what we provide. Just let us know how many you want. You know, lots of schools come to us with lots of different things. And also those schools also really help us to stay current and to think about what is going on. Lots of schools will come to us and say, are other schools experiencing this? So we'll bring together small heads, like a closed heads group. You know, we'll also do bigger things so that people can come together and share ideas and share best practices. And we can bring together some of the market leaders and say, look, this is what's happening. Can you think about how you can make this happen in your school? Because ultimately our vision is the same. What can we do that creates best outcomes for our learners in all those schools. And what changes have you already seen take place during your time at ECIS? So I've now been with ECIS for five years. I've probably been executive director for about half of those five years. So when I became executive director, we wanted to really establish what we're good at and not just be offering things from lots of other people. You know, we live in an age of internet If somebody wants to contact another trainer, they can do that themselves. They don't need to do that via ECIS. So we wanted to really think about what's important to us. And part of that is our special interest groups, who we do a lot of work with. And we're off to do a conference with our student support group next week, which is a sold out event of over 300 people. So that's one of the things we do really well. And those special interest groups really help ECIS work with lots of communities and schools. Also, we're founder members of the Child Protection Task Force. Child protection is really important to us. And that's training that we continue all the time. I was just going to say about the doers and the changers and the change makers. How do you find the right ones of those? Because there's a difficulty. I suppose there's a balance between people who just want to show off with what they're doing because it's self-inflated. It's like, look how great we are. And then there's a difference, but actually we've gone through this. I think it would be useful to share with the community. How do you sift out? The real doers and change makers, as opposed to the show-offs. I think that's really easy to do. A lot of the people that have those inflated egos that are just doing really great things in the moment, it's a very silver bullet PD. They'll come, they'll do their magic, and then they'll go away and you'll have three post-it notes. But the people that are really making those changes and are the doers are the people that are committed to this work. There's research. They've committed a lot of their life to this work. And it's about the end goal. What do they really want? Do they want their own name up in lights? Or is it about the work? And I always say this, it's always got to be about the work and not the people. And it's very easy to spot. Lots of heads will say, well, I did that at school. And then when I left, that stopped. Well, then it wasn't into the culture of the school. It has to be about everyone and not with a person. It shouldn't sit with a person. How do you measure success at ECIS? Because like a lot of member association, you know, you have membership and you have great schools around the world. Is it number of schools that you get on? 
how much revenue that they all make, you know, because you put together a lot of great programs and special interest groups. I just wondered how you measure success. So we measure success at ECIS with school engagement. You know, we keep numbers on who engages with our PD, who attends and what happens. And that's how we measure our success by the engagement to make sure we're serving the community as we should be. So let me give you an example. I just mentioned our student support conference. The last time we ran it post-COVID in Luxembourg, we had 150 people attend. And now we're on 300 and something. And we've actually shut the event down because we can't cater for any more people. We went from about five years ago, having 750 people attend PD to now we're on well over 5,000. And it's not just about bought PD. It's all the other things we offer. We never want to deliver training and just go away. So with our middle leader courses, which is one of our big things, there's a regular cafe. So whoever does the middle leader course can then connect with other middle leaders and come back and say to our really great presenters like Nancy Scucciarini, Helen Morgan, they can say, you know, you said the thing. Well, how do I make that work better? I've done this. How do I make that work better? We want to have that continuous support. I suppose that's an important thread of all PD anyway. And it's that sometimes, again, in schools, teachers get allocated a certain number of hours, you know, PD. And, you know, sometimes it is just a checkbox. Oh, I need to get this done. I've got some time out. I'm just going to go and do that. Your point about making it useful, relevant and ongoing is critical. Unless you see a return for the effort you're putting into PD, then why do it? So has that been a difficult shift to be able, and it's obviously going to add extra resourcing because, you know, it's no good luck. I'm like doing, I'm up, I've done the silver bullet PD, good luck, you're inspired. I'm now going stage left, you're going back, and then you're going to get caught in the day-to-day weeds. You've obviously had to think about resourcing timings and everything. Has that been a difficult transition or? Not really. You know, when you believe in something and you know that that's what your, you know, community is saying, it's an easy thing to do. Um, but we're very careful how we resource it. We only work with about four or five trainers and we all deliver training. I think you know that, Simon, you know, I go out regularly delivering training. I probably deliver training two or three times a month, although my staff won't let me do any maths workshops. I'm like, so right at the beginning of the leadership conference, do you think everyone should do an equation just to warm them up? And they're like, no, Cam. (laughs) Just quickly on the vision piece of ECIS. I mean, what do you want to achieve in your role at ECIS? And, you know, what is the growth vision? So our vision at ECIS, as you know, one of the really big things is inclusion. We want everyone to have the same access to opportunities, you know, not to be tied to various things, various biases. That's one of the things. And we want to be here to provide whatever our schools need. We do a listening campaign. So we'll, if you called us as a school and you said, I'd like this PD, we will talk to you and say, well, what do you exactly want? We're not just going to come and deliver a program and Hopefully three things will be great and the rest might not be that useful. You know, I've been in a school, I've been a teacher. Time is so critical. Why would we go anywhere and then waste people's time? Our vision remains to provide the best service that our schools need that then enhances students' and learners' outcomes. ECIS has set up the International School Anti-Discrimination Task Force. Can you tell us a little bit more about this task force? Why was it set up? And So within schools, there's lots of cycles. It happened a little bit with child protection. You know, when the Vahi case happened, everybody needed a child protection policy to have all those things in place. And at that time, we set up with uh, CIS, COBIS and various others, the International Task Force for Child Protection, because that work needs to continue. It doesn't need to be something that just happens in the year that the problem happened. 
It's the same with the Anti-Discrimination Task Force. This work needs to continue. Schools feel they've had four people in to talk to their school teams. They've now got a policy in place. Right, now let's move on to, you know, artificial intelligence or whatever. The task force is here so that those actions will keep happening, just like the Child Protection Task Force that was set up eight years ago. We want that momentum to keep going. Everyone's on a journey and that journey continues. It's not just about having a policy in four trainings last year. And what impact has it made so far? So we've had over a thousand people attend the two events we've run. And we've now got 200 volunteers. And there's three goals, a short-term, mid-term and a long-term that everyone's going to be working on. So we've got a particular one that's for um, accreditation. So the strand of the task force, the working group, is going to work with the accreditors. How do we change this? How can we see in schools that they are practising anti-discrimination? I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. Awareness has been growing, particularly on issues around diversity, inclusion and equity. ECIS talks about DEIJ. You've added justice into the set. Why and how does justice fit into DEIJ and why is it important to group them all? Well, justice is a really big one. You know, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And if people aren't treated the same, don't get the same treatment, that's an injustice. Justice was a really important part of the whole piece for us, you know, because, you know, we do want to be just as a world and make sure that people are treated the same. So justice was a really big part of what we believe in. And tell me about the E. Because obviously, is it equality? Is it equity? Yeah, it's equity about creating equity for everyone, not making things equal, but how is equity being shown and demonstrated? And also, we very much feel we're connected as one people. You know, it's not about the world, the challenges that we're facing globally. It's not about individual ambition anymore. It's something that we need to do collectively. And again, it brings me back to the, if there's injustice anywhere, it's a threat to justice everywhere. And why is DIJ so important to you? So that's a wonderful question. I grew up in Wolverhampton where Enoch Powell was the local MP and he did an infamous speech about rivers of blood. My dad also worked as a bus driver and they were forced to remove their turbans. You know, I'm from a Sikh community where most men have turbans and they have beards, but they couldn't be bus drivers unless they got shorter hair and removed their beards. So it's something I've always grown up with. West Midlands in the UK is a hotbed of racial tension. Probably through my childhood, most days I was called a racial name. And then when I came to ECIS, I'm the first executive director of colour globally. And there's no point being the first at something if you're going to be the last. It's part of my DNA. It's part of something I've probably fought for since I could speak. I mean, you obviously talk about personal experience there. And obviously a lot of people's, you term it success, but they're corridors of choice and the journeys that go on are formed because of experience that they have in their youth and when they're going through. To be the first, whether or not you're the only person of colour that's leading an international organisation in education is fantastic. Tell me about the challenges you've had to get there, because you know independent education is quite a white entitlement. How do you break through that? So my predecessor, Kevin Ruth, he was great. He really lifted me up. He saw qualities that would really serve ECIS. And I think that really helped me. 
and lots of people we've worked with, the fact that we we share division, we share values. I think that makes a difference. Being your authentic self all the time really helps. I'm always this person, whether I'm at work, whether I'm at home or whether I'm with my friends. But it is challenging. And I, I went to a conference recently where there were over 400 people and I was the only Indian woman there. You know, and I spoke to people about that. It's about raising that awareness. And do you think because you're a person of colour leading an organisation, do you think it's easier for you to be able to shine the spotlight on this and make the difference? Or do you think it's harder, almost like the industry and the infrastructure you're fighting with or trying to change is, is endemically opposite? I think it's a shared responsibility. And I talk to people a lot about this. Challenge people, but do it gently. Don't do it in an aggressive manner where the people who have the power are never going to give you the power if you're aggressive when you're asking for it. You know, think about it gently, make them think. There's a great video we share all the time in our trainings about white privilege. And again, it really helps you think about it differently and it doesn't become really challenging and sort of, well, you have white privilege and we don't. And I think it's everyone's work. I think it's a shared responsibility. I work with lots of white male heads, just like Kevin Ruth, who actually have really been kind and really lifted up my work and really given me some great guidance and great platforms. So I think it's a shared responsibility. Yeah, and it needs to be shared. And it also needs to be fair and equal as you go through this, because we're also learning. And, you know, as we try and educate, you know, it's educating parents, it's educating teachers who are stewarding these young boys and girls, these young men and women, because often they are the product of the environment that they're in. And unless it's on the agenda, unless it's regularly talked about, and unless it's regularly called out, which is, you know, what we want our kids to do in school, if it doesn't, you know, teenagers are mean. Kids can be mean just because that's just the environment they grow to peacock and to show off. But we need to teach them that it's wrong and to look for those signs. I've certainly seen a lot more awareness in all the, certainly the last two years, speaking to a lot of heads all around the world. And it's great that we could be talking about this more openly, but also it's not a big deal. Is there a worry that it becomes an acronym, a badge that people have on their kind of outward communications, almost like a piece of governance that makes it go, look, you know, I've ticked that stamp now. How do we avoid it being a, an acronym and a stamp and a, just a tick box of, I'm covering it as to positive action? I think you have to have someone within your organization as well sometimes that checks that and questions that and asks those difficult questions. Are we doing what we should be doing? I recently spoke to a school that were interviewing for a, a really important position. And I said, why don't you bring in somebody independent? You know, when you're part of the HR team and you're always recruiting together, you become a bit of a group that goes, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. We shouldn't do that. Bring in someone different that will go, actually, I think the community probably is ready for a black woman as a leader. Don't just agree with each other and say, well, why do you think they're not? Sometimes just being outside of that comfort zone and having those conversations. One of our heads in Kuwait, he had a parent recently say to him, now that COVID's over, we need to bring back more English and American teachers because we now have a lot of, you know, teachers that are from the country. And he said, well, everyone's doing really well. If that's how you feel, perhaps this isn't the right school for your child. But they did nothing because the child's happy. They're not going to take them out. But equally, I know heads that completely panic and go, well, a parent said this for the next sort of recruiting phase. I'm only going to employ English and American teachers. You know, be brave. Say what you think, because then as well, people then think, actually, he's right. Nothing's changed. The school's probably doing better. My children see representation. You know, always push it. Always say what you think. You know, and I, and I always say that to lots of our heads. 
don't be fearful. If that's what you really think, do that. And also, we have a teacher shortage. The people that are coming up now, they're really careful about what they look at. They'll look at your website. They'll look at the messaging you're giving before they come to your school. And if you're just doing the tick box and not doing the work properly, it becomes very apparent very, very quickly. Yeah, it does. It does. I want to ask you this, because international schools are naturally diverse because of their locations, because of a lot of inward expats, and you get great kind of nationalities and diversity. Do you feel that they are more diverse than non-international schools? Do you think that they do a better job of covering DEIJ than non-international schools? So that's a really interesting question, and people often have that a little bit confused. So I live in the town where there's University of Hertfordshire, and I used to work for them. With my 24-year-old daughter, I was driving along one day, and she said, well, the University of Hertfordshire is really diverse. And I went, why do you think that? And she said, well, there's students from all over the world at University of Hertfordshire. And I went, yeah, you're absolutely correct. So I have the link to the lecturers because I used to work with them. And I said, do you want to look at the lecturers? 90% of them are white. Is that true diversity? You know, lots of schools have 56 flags and say we've got 56 nationalities. But is that represented in every layer of the school? Or is all the SLT still white, males and, you know, and everything else? So what's true diversity? You know, let's not kid ourselves about diversity being because we've got kids from 56 countries. You know, really think about what diversity is carefully. Where's the positional power? Are those posts also as diverse as your community? And do you spend a lot of time with schools helping them get to that point? Because you're right, that's exactly how they would look at it. They talk about, you know, they'll have the tick box of DEIJ and then they'll go, look, we have 70 nationalities. We're very diverse in multiple culturally, but from a student body. But when you look at the stakeholders, teachers, board members, do you go in there and do audits? Do you help them kind of really shine a spotlight on that piece? We do a lot of trainings with schools. We try to create a safe environment because people are afraid to ask questions. If they ask the wrong question, will they be perceived as a racist? So we try to create safe spaces for them to be able to open up and see, well, I don't really understand this or how will that work? So I work with schools all the time. I'm probably in a school twice a month and I will call things out. Like I've got a head of a school who's a wonderful man. And I have so much respect for him. As soon as I get there, they normally tell me about all the work they've been doing on DEIJ. And so he told me about all the work they've been doing. And then he brought in his 12 members of his SLT who were all white. There were two women. But apart from that, there was, I couldn't see any diversity. I know there's hidden diversity sometimes. And I challenged him on it. And he said, oh, but it's so difficult. I said, well, you know, if you keep fishing in the same pond with the same fishing rod, you're going to get the same results. Let's open the pool up. You know, when you get CVs, when you receive things, think about the whole person, think about that story. I've worked with lots of young people, helping them get jobs, sorting out CVs, all sorts of things. But then it dawned on me, there's only a certain number of people that you can look at their CVs, especially now I'm 50. So I always say to employers, now that I've got that platform, I say to employers, when you get a CV from a young person and it has a spelling mistake, it means that their parents haven't got a network that can check their CVs. Think about the whole person. Don't just look in on one thing and say, well, that straight away goes in the bin. And I say that to heads of schools. So I used to have 27 maths teachers. Recruiting maths teachers is always really difficult. So actually think about things a bit more creative. I bought in um, a man that was a rugby coach and had an engineering degree and really wanted to be a teacher. So I put him in with my grade one teacher and he's a brilliant teacher now. He's actually heading up a maths department at a local independent school. Think about things more creatively. 
Do we always need someone to be able to teach maths to 16 to 19 year olds? Do they really need a master's in maths? Probably not, because then they're not going to be able to relate to the kids who don't understand what seven squared is. And we have to give them a different strategy to be able to work that out. So would you say that the machine is broken in terms of, you know, you talked about fishing in the same pond with the same rod. Let's talk about teacher recruitment. If we are to get true kind of diversity and equity, everything that we believe to be right, surely we've got to go and challenge the people who are providing the recruitment side of things. Because there are lots of organizations and groups and, you know, just like anything, you go, look, I need somebody, I'm going to go and fish in over here. Should we not be challenging them as well to go, actually, you need to be more representative and inclusive. And actually, why aren't you bringing in more of these other pools and ponds of talent? Why are you still going after just down this road, which is where all the, you know, white English teachers have come out of English teaching college? Do you do anything with those groups? We do. So one of our board members, Sheena, works for Search. So we're constantly talking to Search and ISS, but there's so many different layers. Passport inequality. So they're trying to get people in who they can get into schools easily. How can we lobby governments to say, actually, a teacher from India should be able to go to a different country without having lots of challenges with visas? And Bangladesh, you know, how do we open the world up? Because there's all those issues in lots of Western European countries where only certain countries can get jobs, certain visas, certain passport holders. So it is complex, but we've just got to do the work little by little. One of the problems with this work is people get completely overwhelmed. About seven years ago, I worked with a UK behavioural teams unit, the government team, about Thaler's theory, the nudge theory. How can we just do little things that will change? And that's what I always say to people I talk to. What's the little thing that you can do that will bring a bit of change? That whole ripple effect. You know, what we don't want people to do, and we talk about this in our trainings all the time, I don't want people to be overwhelmed. I just want them to go away and say, right, these two little things I can do, and then this will bring a change. And if everyone brings a little change together, that's how we'll get there. One final question for you. I asked all my guests to look into their crystal ball. What would the future of education look like for you by 2050? What's going to change? What's going to stay the same? I think one of the main things is going to be we're going to have to be a lot more student-led. You know, we're really going to have to move away from the system that we have at the moment where the teacher stands at the front and imparts knowledge. You know, I think teachers are going to become much more coaches on learners' journeys. And, you know, what are the best things for learners? You know, Gardner often talks about the seven different intelligences, and we only value the two intelligences, really, literacy and mathematical. But all those things, those creative, those other intelligences are going to become more and more important as our world changes and artificial intelligence becomes more and more into our daily lives. Teaching has to be about the whole person. As I may have mentioned, I used to teach maths, but kids would come to my class and they'd say, oh, I've got an interview. So I'd say, well, stay behind. We'll do a bit of interview practice. And if I was driving into work and somebody important died, you know, we'd have that conversation because I listened to Radio 4 in the mornings. And I say, so-and-so died and they were 86. What year were they born in? And I'd say, oh, and they were a socialist. What's a socialist? I always felt we shouldn't have pockets. You don't just do maths in my class. You do whatever's going on in the world. And all of our learning needs to be connected. And relevant and current. Absolutely. You know, 78% of employers are saying that young people haven't always got those skills. We need to think about those skills, not just getting them through their maths exam. 
You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.